We've been here for, for some time covering lots of different areas because this is, the, yeah, just raise your hand if you didn't get a, get a sheet. Okay, looks like we, we did pretty good. The time that we're talking about in Revelation chapter 20 is a time that the entire Bible is pointing to. And yet, what's interesting, when God actually clears off the space in Revelation chapter 20 to tell us about the most incredible time on the planet, the time that God has been waiting for and longing for with all of his heart, when his son finally takes the throne and gets the glory that he deserves, what we began to talk about is what's interesting in this thing is that when God clears off the space to talk about it, he really doesn't talk that much about the Lord Jesus Christ getting the glory that he deserves. And we can cover the verses, and we're going to do that, but to make sure that we really understand this time period, the time that we would call the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth, so that we fully understand what's taking place, what we've tried to do is just kind of step back for a second and look at the whole of the Bible and what it teaches about that thousand-year day and so that we can put that into the context of Revelation chapter 20 and we can understand the things that, that we're seeing here. We're calling this little sub-part of our study a crash course on the millennium. Last week we looked at the first inference of the millennium and we saw that we couldn't even get past Genesis chapter 2 before we've already seen the first inference. And we went there and on the seventh day what we saw is that it was a day that God blessed. It was a day that God set apart or sanctified unto himself. It was his day, the Lord's day. We saw that it had no evening and no morning. We saw that it was a day of rest. And what I've just described for you is the seventh day of the recreation of the earth. And yet what I've just described for you is the seventh day on, in human history, the thousand year reign of Christ. And it's spelled out specifically for you as early as Genesis chapter 2 verses 1 through 3. And then we, from that, began to look at the timing of the millennium and, and just saw some, some incredible things in just in terms of what God laid out in that creative week. And we won't have the time to get into all of that tonight, but uh, if you weren't here, just a lot of fun stuff in the Word of God there in terms of the days that God pointed uh, to as early as Genesis chapter 2 and then beginning in Jesus' ministry. Then we looked at the pictures of the millennium. We saw Israel in the early days of Solomon's reign. Solomon, of course, was the son of David, a title used in reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He, at this point in 1 Kings chapter 10, is the ruling over the dominant power in the entire earth, the nation of Israel at that point, and the Gentile kings and queens are coming, bowing their knee, marveling in the wisdom and the wealth of Israel's king. And of course, just a picture of another reign with the son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we saw the picture of the son in Malachi, the day of the Lord is going to uh, come and the sun is, is going to rise. And then we looked in the Psalms and just saw that there's this little word that, that shows up numerous times in the Psalms because the Psalms are songs 
And just like in the songs that were sung here tonight, if you were to look at the musical score, there's written into the music, musical rests. The word selah is a musical rest, and yet God has, in the construction of his book, what he's done is he's taken that musical rest and he uses it as a way to set the context for you so that when you're coming along and you're reading that and you see that word, it's a rest, and it's a picture of the millennial rest, where there is rest on this planet for a thousand years, and it sets the context for you. It'll totally change your reading in the Psalms when you begin to see those things. And now tonight, let's talk about the names for the millennium. The names for the millennium. Now, one thing that's interesting, we've mentioned this already, is that the word millennium, we, we refer to it a lot, okay? Again, it's, it comes from two words, milli and annum, millennium. It's thousand years. It's spelled out here in Revelation chapter 20. You see it in verse 2, you see it in verse 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Thousand years, thousand years, thousand years. But the word millennium does not uh, appear. And yet the concept of the millennium, as I said, is all the way through the Bible. And one of the ways that God refers to it is the kingdom of heaven. This is letter A on your outline. The kingdom of heaven. Now there is some of you folks that have been through discipleship too here. There's many of you that have been uh, in our shepherd school of ministry and, and you're totally dialed in on this. There's a lot of you that uh, never had really the, the teaching on this subject. And tonight what I want to begin to do, uh, I think we can get through this, is I want to give you what I'm calling the Reader's Digest on the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. Now, as we'll talk about in, in, in a few minutes here, there are many people that think that these kingdoms are the same. And probably, even if you're a new believer and you've read in the Gospels, you, you've come across the phrase, the kingdom of heaven. You've come across the phrase, the kingdom of God. And most commentators are going to tell you that they're the same kingdom. And yet, that just is the weirdest thing in the world that we would ever make that leap because you have a personal relationship with God, right? Could you interchangeably use, could you say you have a personal relationship with heaven tonight? Well, uh, heaven, I, I, I come to you tonight. You wouldn't pray to heaven. God and heaven are not the same thing. And the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are not the same thing. Okay, what you need to understand tonight is your entire Bible. I'm not talking about, you know, this little portion or this little verse or this little chapter. Your entire Bible is wrapped around those two kingdoms. What we're talking about when we're talking about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is really one of, if not the, most important subjects that you'll ever nail down in terms of your Bible study because these kingdoms run throughout and you knowing where they are is really the, the difference between proper interpretation of the Word of God and improper 
uh, interpretation of the Word of God. Now let's, let's talk first of all about the similarity of these two kingdoms. Though they are totally different kingdoms, they both have the same king ruling over them. Though they're totally different kingdoms, they both have the same king ruling over them. And that king, of course, is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so, we, we, we've nailed that down. That's very simple, but we're just going to put some pieces in, in place. Now, that's the similarity. Let's, number two, talk about the difference. Here's the difference if you want to just bottom line it. One is spiritual. One is a spiritual kingdom. And one is a physical kingdom. And, and, and here's, the, here's this, is, this is so simple, and yet it's so simple that even people that have made it their lifelong job to study the Bible and write commentaries on this thing, it's so simple that you can study this subject and miss this little principle. I mean, I, I have picked up books written about the kingdom, and they'll talk about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, and yet in the midst of all that they did, they never just took the time to just let the Bible define what the kingdoms are. And it's, I mean, it's a, it's a no-brainer. But if you, just, if you just took a concordance and you were going to look up the kingdom of God, okay, and let's just Let's just act like we did. Okay, we took our concordance. We looked up all the places where it says kingdom of God. And let's just see what, what it says. In the book of Romans, chapter 14, and verse 17, it says this. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. And now it's going to tell you what it is. And you're going to have a hard time fitting the first one in that blank. It's not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. In Revel or Luke chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Now listen to it, and I'm doing this to try to save some time, just reading them to you, but, but listen very intently. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, Lo, here, or lo, there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. Okay? So, it doesn't come with observation. You can't say, oh, here it is, or there it is. He says, this kingdom is within you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 20, it says this, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50, it says this, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And of course, in John chapter 3 and verse 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You enter this kingdom by a, what kind of birth? A spiritual birth. 
All of that, if you just begin to look at that list that we just compiled from just going to the Bible and letting the Bible tell you this are the characteristics of the kingdom of God, what we come away with is that the kingdom of God is not a physical kingdom that you can observe with physical eyes or say, well, here it is, ladies and gentlemen, or there it is, ladies and gentlemen. It's not meat and drink. It's not flesh and blood. Flesh and blood can't inherit that kingdom because it is a spiritual kingdom. Okay? Now, the kingdom of heaven is the exact opposite of that, though it has the same king. Okay? The kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical, Davidic, okay, David, I see, Davidic. It has to do with David, okay, Davidic, governmental kingdom on the earth. Okay, it is a literal, physical, Davidic, governmental kingdom on the earth that was promised to the Jews throughout the Old Testament. Now again, what we're trying to do right now is we're just trying to, to get all of the pieces so that we can begin to understand some things about our Bible. Okay, There's the, your entire Bible is wrapped around these two kingdoms. A spiritual kingdom that you enter by way of a spiritual birth and a literal physical kingdom that has to do with governments and politics and a literal king that is Jesus Christ. Okay, And all the way through the Old Testament, guys, what the Old Testament is pointing to and letting the nation of Israel know is that there is going to become one from David, the son of David, who is going to come and he is going to rule and reign over a kingdom and you'll be citizens of that kingdom. And you know one of the things the Jews had a hard time with when Jesus came? They were all waiting for this kingdom and they understood that it was a governmental kingdom. They understood that most assuredly. And you see, at that time, they were under the domination of the Romans. And so, man, they were looking for a Messiah to come and gather together an army and blast the devil out of them. And Jesus comes on the scene meek and lowly and a suffering Messiah, because you see, they didn't understand the kingdoms any more than the people do in the 21st century. They lost sight of the fact that to enter and be a citizen in that literal physical kingdom, you had to have a spiritual birth. And in order to have the spiritual birth, somebody was going to have to die for their sins that had spotless blood, the blood of God, and so God became flesh and died so that there could be citizens in this kingdom, and because he came as a suffering Messiah, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Okay, so that's, that's very important that you get those, those pieces together there. Okay, the confusion concerning these kingdoms. Okay, so we've looked at the similarity. We looked at the difference. Now, the confusion. As you begin to look through the New Testament, the confusion is that these kingdoms seem to be referred to interchangeably in the Gospels. And I'll give you about a half hour to work on the word interchangeably. To be referred to interchangeably 
in the gospel. Let me, let me show you what, I, what I'm talking about here. Turn to the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, and realize that for 400 years between the Old Testament, the ending of the book of Malachi, and the beginning of the New Testament, God has been silent. There hasn't been any new revelation. There hasn't been any word from heaven for 400 years. Now, all through the Old Testament, the Jews have been waiting for their Messiah. They knew that a king was coming and that he was going to establish a kingdom on the earth. And yet for 400 years, there's not been a word at all from God, not only not about that kingdom, but not about anything. 400 years of silence. And then all of a sudden, in Matthew chapter 3, in verse 1, in those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent ye! Here he comes. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What kingdom is that? It's the literal, physical kingdom promised to the Jews all through the Old Testament. John the Baptist comes on the scene and says, Hey Israel! It's here! The kingdom of heaven is at hand! Okay, now go over to Mark the very next book of the Bible, Mark chapter 1. And look at verse 14. It says, Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand repent ye wait now if there are two different kingdoms then why was John the Baptist saying it's the kingdom of heaven that's at hand and why is Jesus saying here the kingdom of God is at hand that's the confusion and let me show you even something a little more confusing than that look in Matthew chapter 19 Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24, And again I say unto you, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the, the kingdom of heaven. Of God, and here we are in the very same passage, and in one verse it refers to the kingdom of heaven, in the next verse, the kingdom of God, and you see, this is why people make the leap, and you can see that in their minds it's not a real far leap because they've got to have some kind of connection which makes them assume that you can use these terms interchangeably. But here's the key, okay? They have the same king in both of these kingdoms, and the king of both kingdoms was present on the earth. And so, you know what? Both of the kingdoms were at hand. We cannot make the leap, though, by what we've seen from how the Bible defines what the kingdoms are. 
We can't say they're the same kingdoms. They are different kingdoms. They have the same king. The king of both kingdoms was present on the earth at that time. And so it is a very true statement. The kingdom of God is at hand and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But now here is the distinction. Okay, even if your mind struggles a little bit to fully comprehend that, here is the distinction. There's only one gospel that uses the term kingdom of heaven. Okay, now, now listen. You can take your concordance and you can look up the kingdom of God and you can go through and you can find that thing in all of the gospels. There's only one gospel that has in it this phrase that we're talking about, the kingdom of heaven, and it happens to be the gospel of Matthew, and it just happens to be used a little more than just here and there. The kingdom of heaven is found 33 times in the gospel of Matthew alone, and I do mean alone. It's not found anywhere else, not only in the Gospels, but in the entire rest of the New Testament. Now, if you're a Bible believer, if you have spent any time at all in the Word of God and begun to understand how God thinks, when you see some kind of a truth like that, where there is one particular book of the Bible that keeps talking about the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, 33 times, you've learned that that's something that you need to take notice of. Well, if you take notice of it, what would you glean? Well, what you would glean is that the Gospel of Matthew was written to present the Lord Jesus Christ as the king of the, of the Jews. And thus, the fact that the entire Old Testament was pointing to the fact that the Jews were going to have a king who was going to come and set up a kingdom on the earth. And God took this phrase, referring to that literal, physical, Davidic, governmental kingdom on the earth that was promised to the Jews, and he reserved the phrase for one book of the Bible in your New Testament to let you know that this kingdom is really all about... The kingdom that was promised all the way back through the entire Old Testament to the nation of Israel. And you may want to note that the kingdom of heaven, as we'll see here in just a second, is also referred to as the kingdom of Israel. It's referred to as the kingdom of Israel. Now, turn to Acts chapter 1. And let me, let me show you some things that, that if you'll grab this, it'll help you to understand the book of Acts. It'll help you to understand some things about the charismatic movement and how it is that people today are trying to say that we are missing out on something that God is doing and, and all of that. And they want to take you back to the book of Acts and show you some things that were going on there. But in Acts chapter 1, this is the period of time, and, and, and make sure that you, you understand the, the context. When Acts chapter 1 is, is written, Jesus Christ 
is on the earth, but he has already died, he's already been buried, he has already been resurrected. And there was a 40-day period of time after his resurrection that he spent with his disciples. And in Acts chapter 1, that's what we're talking about. He, he says in verse 1, The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his, his passion, or his, his death, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and watch this very, very carefully now, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Okay, what I want you to see now is after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, Jesus spends 40 days with the disciples. And for 40 days, he teaches them about the kingdom of God. Now, which kingdom is that? It's the, it's the spiritual kingdom. Okay? He's trying to get these men who were going to be those who would take Christianity, and because of their witness, we all sit here tonight. He wanted to make sure that this group of men that were being commissioned to go make disciples in all the world, he wanted to make sure that those men understood about this spiritual kingdom. What you need to understand, and just put down as a, a, a footnote or a cross-reference there about Jesus teaching them the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, is in Luke chapter 24 and verse 45, and for time's sake we won't turn over there. But what it says is that when Jesus was doing this teaching during this period, listen, then opened he the eyes of their understanding, it says. So now, now listen, here is Jesus. Jesus is God in a human body, and I promise you there has never been a better teacher in all of the world than God. Okay? Nobody's going to hold a candle to God when it comes to teaching. And so here is God in a human body, the greatest teacher that has ever been on the planet. And not only is he just doing some incredible teaching, he supernaturally opens the eyes of their understanding so that they can get it. You know what? Even the best teachers in the world struggle to have everybody get what they're talking about. And yet Jesus opens the eyes of their understanding. Now listen. Anybody here think they didn't get it? They got it. They understood what he was talking about. And you see, the reason I'm making such a point of that is because if you, if you go and you read the commentaries about this passage, these men are about to ask him a question. And every commentator, not every is a strong word, most of the commentators you're going to read are going to say, these Idiotic, selfish, self-seeking disciples. All they could think about was themselves. Because they ask a question. It's a weird question. Look, look down in verse 6. When they therefore were come together, that's Jesus and the disciples, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And you see, this is where the commentators go off, and they're going to say, can you believe these guys? 
after 40 days of him teaching about this kingdom. And he opened the eyes of their understanding and they're still wondering, hey, is this when we get to sit on the thrones? But you know what? Listen, guys, they're not asking the question about the kingdom of God. They're asking about that kingdom that was promised to the nation of Israel. They're asking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom to Israel. You know what they're saying in effect? They, they come together and they're piecing all of the things that they've been learning together and they say, okay, we, we got it on this thing of the kingdom of God. We got that spiritual kingdom thing down. But now, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? What about the physical kingdom? Is everybody dialed in? They're asking about a totally different kingdom here. And, and something that you need to understand. Go, go back to Matthew. Matthew chapter 10. And look at verse 1. It says, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And he begins to list the, the twelve and drop down to verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth. And up to this point, they've been referred to as the disciples. Now that he's getting ready to send them Fourth, they become the apostles because the word apostle means sent one. So the disciples become apostles once they've been sent. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying, Go not, listen to this y'all, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans. And if you don't know what the Samaritans are, they are the half-Jew and half Gentile. And so he says, now listen, I'm sending you out with my message. Don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the half-breeds. Don't go to the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you got what kingdom it is? The literal, physical, Davidic, governmental kingdom on the earth promised to the Jews. And so you see, do you get it? I've come to fulfill the Old Testament scriptures to the nation of Israel. And so I'm telling you now, I'm sending you out, don't go to the Gentiles, don't go to the Samaritans, but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And when you go, preach the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, John the Baptist came on the scene, and John the Baptist was preaching that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And do you remember what they did to him? They chopped off his head. They killed him. Strike one. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of heaven, and you know what they did to him? They crucified him. Strike two. But do you remember what Jesus said as he was hanging on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. 
who's them, who's they? The nation of Israel. Father, forgive them. They don't get it. They don't understand. You think Jesus ever prayed a prayer that the Father wasn't willing to answer? And you know what? God was willing to give Israel another chance because his son said, Father, forgive them because they don't get it. And so go back to the book of Acts now. Acts chapter 1. This is where we just were. He's taught them all about the kingdom of God, that spiritual kingdom that you've got to be born into. And then they ask him about this literal, physical kingdom promised to the nation of Israel in verse 6. I want you to see how he responds to them in verse 7. And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. And you know what he does? He, he puts them off. He doesn't, he doesn't answer it. You know why? Because the nation of Israel has got another shot. The king was still willing to set up that literal, physical, Davidic, governmental kingdom on the earth that was promised to the Jews. They've got another shot. And so what Jesus does is he doesn't commit himself in the answer because you know what the answer is? It depends on what Israel does with their final chance. Now, 20 years later, the book of 1 Thessalonians is going to be written. And Paul is going to write about the day of the Lord. And he writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 1, and he says, Now listen, you know very well the times and seasons. Jesus says right here, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. But you see, 20 years had passed and something significant had taken place in that 20-year period that changed the course of human history. And you and I are sitting here tonight as a parenthesis in God's plan because the nation of Israel missed their final shot at the kingdom. But, but let me show you this real quick. Are you, are you guys, are, are you hanging with me? Okay, cool. I, I'd love you to say, no, we want to get the heck out of here. Okay, he, he's in the early part of the book of Acts. Very important that you understand this. He's still willing to set that kingdom up. That kingdom is still being offered. In Acts chapter 3, Peter is, is, is preaching here. We've already come through the day of, of Pentecost, given specifically to the nation of Israel. If you'll go back and read what was being preached, it was to the nation of Israel. And then in chapter 3, and look at verse 19, what he says is, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Watch this now. And he shall send Jesus Christ. Now, he ascended back to the Father back in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And what he's saying is, Hey, Israel, listen. If you'll repent, you know what God will do? He'll send Jesus back right now. You've still got a chance. The kingdom of heaven is, message is still being preached. 
in the early part of the book of Acts. And, and we're, we, you come through that thing, and, and, and in Acts chapter 6, what, what takes place here? Or Acts chapter 7, I, I'm, I'm sorry. A- Acts chapter 7, Stephen, a, a, a faithful deacon in, in the church, has an audience, listen, with the leaders of the nation of Israel. What you're about to see here is Israel's final chance to get that kingdom. Now, understand, when I say final final chance before God did something different and added the parentheses, I want to make sure that everybody understands. All of the promises promised to the nation of Israel will be fulfilled. Everything that we're talking about here, it's still going to happen, but... We understand now, because of their refusal to accept that kingdom, there's a 2,000-year parenthesis that God threw in there that you and I have become a part of, and we are right at the, we're right at the parentheses right over here before this thing comes to an end. That's where we are right now. Okay, so understand, that all of those promises are going to be f- fulfilled to the nation of Israel, but where we are in Acts chapter 7 is Stephen has got the audience of these guys you do understand, if these guys will listen to the message, if these guys will be converted, the entire nation will follow. These guys are the kingpins. And so Stephen starts preaching. And he says, hey guys, let, let me tell you how it broke down. And what he does is he takes them back to the one that their whole nation was formed out of. He takes them back to Abraham. He takes them back to Genesis chapter 12 where God promised Abraham that he was going to bring a, a nation out of them. And, and what he does is he begins to give the, the leaders of the nation of Israel a history lesson. And he's bringing them through, man, and man, the Spirit of God is on Stephen, and he's busting it out. And I mean, it's eloquent, and he's just breaking it down for him. He's just going through that whole deal. He gets down to the end, and he can look. You know, it, it's you almost have to be a preacher to understand what comes down in those down in the 50s there in, in, in this passage. As he's preaching, he looks out at the faces of these people, and he gets it. They're ticked off. It, it happens a lot when I preach funerals. It is the weirdest thing. I am preaching here, and very seldom do people give me that look. Something about funerals, man. People sit there and... Just, oh, ticked off that somebody would have the audacity to talk about the fact that we're all going to die and maybe go to hell unless we receive Jesus Christ. (laughs) And while Stephen is preaching, they get that look on their face and Stephen goes off and he says, you know what? You guys are just like all of your forefathers, man. You're a stiff-necked generation of people that just, God can do everything in the world right in your face, and you still miss it. And they come after Stephen, man, and they, 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 they attack him. And, and, and look at this. <clears throat> Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. Man, what a trip. <laughs> But he being full of the Holy Ghost, this is Stephen, looked up steadfastly into heaven 
and saw the glory of God. And one of the most interesting phrases in the entire Bible right here. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And the reason I say that that is perhaps one of the most interesting phrases in the entire Bible is if you look up the right hand, if you've got a computer program and you just plug in right hand or if you use your concordance and you look up right hand in the Bible, what you're going to see, seated at the right hand, seated at the right hand, seated at the right hand. You get it? I mean, time after time after time. There's one place where he's standing. One place. One. Just happens to be in Israel's final shot when Jesus could come back if those leaders would just respond to the message that's being preached to them. And we know he sat back down because they refused that offer. And what's interesting in your Bible is, okay, now up to this point now, realize the kingdom of heaven, the literal, physical, Davidic, governmental kingdom on the earth promised to the Jews that's been the message up to this point in the Word of God. And what's interesting is you come to Acts chapter 8, and it says, And Saul was consenting unto his death. And you're introduced to this guy named Saul, whose name is going to be changed into Paul, who's going to be the apostle to the, to the Gentiles. And you get a little foreshadowing immediately after the stoning of Stephen. And what's interesting is there is a, a revival that's taking place down in a particular city right after this event, okay? Look in verse 5. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Does that ring a bell to you at all? Go not the way of the Gentiles, nor the way of the Samaritans but go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel has their shot through Stephen's message. They refuse that. And all of a sudden, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached unto them. And look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the, the kingdom of God... And you see, do you see what's happening? God is making a transition. He's moving now from the Jews and a kingdom of heaven message. And he's making that transition so he goes to the half Jew and the half Gentile. But the message has changed. Now the message is all about a spiritual kingdom. And lo and behold, you go a little further on in the story... And you know what? The next guy that responds to the gospel is an Ethiopian. He's a black man. He's a Gentile. And the message changes. And the book of Acts changes. Where God is transitioning through this book. And you see, this is what I was talking about a little earlier. You see, 
there are some promises that came down into the last days that had to do when God is setting up that kingdom for the nation of Israel. Joel prophesied some things that were going to take place. In fact, on the day of Pentecost, it started to kick into gear. Joel's prophecy. The people are speaking in other tongues and they're saying, wow, these people are drunk and it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And Peter stands up and says, no, uh-uh, they ain't drunk. Ain't y'all read the book of Joel? This is the kind of stuff that's going to be happening during this time. What time? The time when God was going to set up the kingdom on the earth through Jesus Christ. And you see, those things were taking place in the book of Acts in that early period of time. And what God begins to do is he begins to transition out of those things because the kingdom message changes. It was the kingdom of heaven message preached to the nation of Israel. And it changed to the kingdom of God message. You know what? When I give the gospel here on Sunday mornings, what we've done for the last three weeks, I'm not saying, listen, there's been a kingdom that has been promised to you. I'm not, I'm not asking these people to be a part of a, a literal physical kingdom. Now, we get to be a part of it, as we'll see. But you know what? If you're going to be a part of it, the message that we preach in this period of time is, you need to be born again. You need to understand that you must enter God's family by way of a spiritual birth. That's the message that we preach today. And the reason we preach that is because we're Gentiles and God wants to allow us to be a part of his family. And being a part of his family, he's going to allow us to be a part of all of the promises that came to the nation of Israel that were specifically for them. And we get to be a part of that in that millennial reign. But you've got to understand who you are. You've got to understand who they are. And you've got to understand that difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Do you understand that? Anybody just confused out of your mind right now? Okay, if so, see Pastor Joe, okay? Because he, he taught me all of this about five minutes before the service started. That's how good of a teacher he is. He opened the eyes of my understanding. And, and you know what? I, I know that if you're, if you're new to the Bible, man, that's a, that's a lot of stuff to, to assimilate. But you know what? It, it really is pretty simple. And you can just go through and see all the way through the Bible, those two kingdoms. Because, you know, when Adam came on the globe, you know what? He was spiritually alive the kingdom of God, and he had dominion over the entire earth. It's the kingdom of heaven. And you know what happened? He lost that kingdom. He lost the spiritual kingdom, and he died spiritually and thrust the entire human race into that. And if you're here tonight and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've you got to understand something. You are dead spiritually in need of being born again, that spiritual birth, the, the kingdom of God. And tonight, you know what, it's not been the, you know, the, you need to be saved message, but maybe for some of you tonight, maybe you began to see that, you know what, this Bible thing, if you'll study it, it all just lines up perfectly, and God has thought of every single thing and reveals his truth to us. And there may be some that are here tonight. And in the midst of talking about these kingdoms, what God is doing in your heart tonight, 
is showing you the need for the kingdom of God to be within you. And I want you to know tonight that that can happen. That new birth can take place in you before you even leave this building tonight. And it's our prayer that you'd open your heart. If you have questions about that, I, along with other pastors, will make ourselves available as our, our service comes to a conclusion tonight. And Lord, thank you for your incredible word and all of the, the incredible truths that, that you have laid out for us in this book and how clear it is when, when we just stop to let you define your terms and, and just apply those as we just walk through the Word of God. And Lord, I, I pray for those that are here tonight that have never entered into that spiritual kingdom. Lord, thank you for everything that you've done to allow us to be born again. The gift of your Son and the sinless life that he lived as he came to this awful sinful planet that we have destroyed because of, of our choice to, to sin and rebel against you. And thank you for his willingness to live that sinless life and then offer his life as a sacrifice for us. And I pray that those that are here tonight that have never received you, Lord, open the eyes of their understanding in the same way that you did the disciples as you taught them about the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, make it so clear to, to people in this room tonight, and may they forever be changed and their eternal destiny changed because of the miracle of the new birth that you perform in them even tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.